0: Hey, so I'll say good morning again. I'm glad that y'all are here. My name is Ed griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff, Church on the Trail. Welcome if you're watching online, YouTube or Facebook or whatever that is. Lots of places you could be this morning, but God's got you up and he's got you here for a reason. And so uh, I'm excited for today. I'm so excited that our kids' stuff is going back on because we're, we're, we're so committed to, to pouring into the next generation of Christ followers our world is desperately in need of Jesus and we're, we're hopefully playing some small role in raising up that next generation to tell the world about him. And so we're in, uh, in the book of Romans. Last week we were, <coughs> we were, we started a new series. The series is called Set Free, but it's really the third, kind of the third part, the third section that we're going, as we walk in through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, And last week, if you remember, um, Bill Miller, I'm sure, remembers. Last week, we said this. We said, y'all, as believers, as Christ followers, as Christians, that we are are now identified with Christ in his death. We said that we are now identified with Christ in his resurrection. We said that our old self, if y'all remember that, our old self died up on that cross with him, and we're raised to walk in the newness of life. That's even language that we use in when we baptize somebody, when, we, uh, when somebody takes the God plunge. If you're new to church on the trail, we call baptism biblical baptism. Here we call it the God plunge. And we're going to have another baptism, another somebody taking the God plunge uh, when, when our worship experience is, uh, is coming to an end today. But today we are going to be in uh, continuing on in Romans 6, verse 15 to the end of the chapter and we're going to talk about choices. We're we'll going to talk about choices. The name of the message is The Power of Choices. And you know that you do have choices, right? You, you have a chooser inside. It's right down next to your appendix. It's one of the things that, that, that separates us from animals. We have a chooser. We get to choose. We have free will. God made man a free moral agent. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. Joshua, in, uh, in Joshua 24:15, said, uh, choose this day whom you will serve. Elijah came to the people uh, and he said in 1 Kings chapter uh, 18, he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, Baal was one of the pagan gods, if Baal, follow him. He said, make a decision. Make a decision, uh, uh, Elijah said. In John chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus came to his own people and his own people chose to reject him. Jesus said, end of the gospel of Mark, in uh, chapter 16, he said, if you believe you'll be saved, if you don't, you won't. It's really that simple. If you believe, you'll get saved. If you don't, you won't. Man's eternal destiny, and y'all know when I say man's, I mean men and women. But our eternal destiny is very much dependent on his or her choice. Y'all, 1920. Take you back to 1920. Raise your hand if you were alive in 1920. You old if you were alive in 1920. Massachusetts, in the state house of Massachusetts, and, and Calvin Coolidge was the governor of the state of Massachusetts at the time, and there's two senators on the state house floor, and they're arguing, mad at each other. Who knows what they're arguing about, but they're arguing, and they're mad at each other. And, and one of the men said to the other one in the heat of this argument, he said, well, you can just go straight to blank. You can just go straight to blank, he said to him. And that man protested to Governor Coolidge. He's like, did you hear what he just said? Like, did you hear what he said? He told me that I could just go to blank. And Governor Coolidge said, Senator, I looked up this, uh, the law, and you don't have to go there. <laughs> so you don't have to go there, y'all. Me and you got choices. We got a chooser down here by our appendix somewhere. We got choices. We got choices. So today we're going to be Romans six fifteen uh, through 23. I want us to look at starting in verse 15 for three or four verses. And, and I'm going to call this little section the first choice. And this is the choice. Of slavery and if you don't have a worship guide raise your hand we want to get one of those in your hand too there's a few people over here if we can get worship guides in their hand got some fill in the blanks the first one is the choice the choice of slavery so verse 15 what then are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace by no means What does by no means mean are you crazy So, verse 16 tells us this. We're going to be a slave to something. We're going to be a slave to something. We're going to be obedient to something. We're going to serve something. Something or someone is going to be our master. And you can't be a slave to two masters. And so if we constantly yield to sin, then we're going to be a servant to it. Jesus said in John eight thirty four. He said, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We'll serve it, and that's going to lead to death. Or we got choices. We got a chooser. Where is it? Right down here by your appendix somewhere. Or we can be a slave to Christ. And when we choose to obey the one who created us and become slaves to obedience, we'll discover that that slavery leads to righteousness. And at the end of the day, you only got two choices. To refuse to allow God to be the master over your life is to choose slavery to sin. It's to choose slavery to sin. But believers have been transferred, so to speak, transferred to a new master. And we get, I started to say we got to do his bidding, but we get to do his bidding. We get to. It's a privilege, y'all. I remember one time years ago, going to sleep one one night and I had Bible study the next morning at 6 a.m. And I was going to sleep and I had kind of forgotten about it. And I said, um, I remembered, it was about midnight. And I remembered and I said, Oh my goodness, I've got Bible study in the morning. I got Bible study. And Susan said to me, No, 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 you get to go to Bible study. It's the different perspective. So when we're a slave to right to obedience, we get to do. Is bidding Now, while, uh, while service to sin leaves us powerless, it leads to death. Service to God leads to righteousness and then to eternal life. Paul says in verse 17, he says, thank God you're different now. Thank God for change. Like we were once slaves to sin. We used to be a slave to sin. We used to give in. To sin. We used to give in to stuff like from just simple kind of off-color jokes all the way to taking the Lord's name in vain, cussing like a drunken sailor, from, from from immoral thoughts all the way to adultery, from just simple kind of thoughts of pride all the way to rampant drunkenness, from being a little bit selfish all the way to stealing everything we can get our hands on. From maybe even simply being a little ambitious to crushing the very people we love to get what it is that we want to get. But thank God. Paul says, thank God you're different now. You're cha- you've changed. You, you, your heart has changed. You've been set free from all of that, verse 18 says. We're set free from, from the control of evil desires and from selfish habits. We're free to become enslaved to righteous living. Now that sounds weird. We're free to become enslaved to righteous living. We serve a God who is in the process of, of transforming us to become more and more like Him. Y'all, it's not a bad master to have. It's not a bad master to have. So number one is this choice of slavery. You choose what and who is going to be your master. That's number one. Number two is this: the choice of of sanctification. It's a churchy word, sanctification. We're going to kind of define it here in a second. It starts in verse 19. Paul says, "I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification." Verse 20, "For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That sentence seems nonsensical. We're going to come back to it. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, which is eternal life. So the end of verse 19, the end of verse 19, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification or holiness or consecration or being set apart for service or, or being set apart with a, with a purpose, with, for growing in holiness, that's sanctification. Y'all, athletes, athletes place themselves under the control of, of a coach or a master that coach or that master has a has a purpose and he's got a training plan and Paul has shown thus far through Romans that we are all born into the team born onto the team that practices sin the training plan is sin that's the team that we're born into and the longer that we practice sin the quote better we become at it until we've been fully trained in wickedness and the gospel, thank God for the gospel, the gospel, though, brings us news, good news of a, of a new coach, of a new, a new gracious coach, and a new training plan. This coach freely accepts those of us who realize that we don't want to be part of that old team anymore. Does that make sense? This gracious coach accepts those of us that admit that realize we don't want to be part of that old team anymore, and that but but we don't deserve to be on the new team, but we're willing to accept membership on that new team as a uh, that opportunity for membership on that new team as a gift, and y'all as we become members of that new team, we're going to find a, a maybe even a challenging. Training plan but that that new training plan will take us from from wickedness fitness to holiness fitness and that new training plan it requires lifelong obedience to Jesus Christ who is the most gracious coach you could ever have verse 20 Paul says that when sin was our master we were quote free from the control of righteousness, okay? When sin was our master, we were, quote, free from the control of righteousness. Y'all, the freedom that people think they have, the freedom, the, quote, freedom, that people experience when they are slaves to sin is the exact opposite of real freedom. It's the exact opposite of genuine freedom. It is such a distortion of the meaning of liberty. It's such a distortion of of the meaning of freedom that it causes people to, like, be glad that they're not locked in to the very things that would be healthy and positive boundaries. We've so jacked up the, the meaning of freedom, the way that we look at freedom. So... Verse 21, Paul sort of rhetorically asks, and how's that going to work out for you? How's that going to work out for you? He says the end of those things is death. And he says that your definition of freedom is messed up, y'all. You've been deceived into thinking that you're free, but in reality the sin's got such a stranglehold on you and you don't even know it. Ultimately, the deceiver has deceived you. And you bought it hook, line, and sinker. You do understand that when the very nature of being deceived is that you don't know you're deceived. So the deceiver has deceived us, and we don't even really even know it. Bought it hook, line, and sinker. He's deceived us into thinking that we're the master, that that you are in charge, that you are the boss, and it's just okay to just go act like a fool. Now you got a chooser down here by your appendix. And so you really can. You absolutely, y'all, you can act like a fool. You are totally free to act like a fool. But I'm going to stop way short to say that it's just okay to act like a fool. Does that make sense? You are free to act like an idiot. I am free to act like an idiot. I'll give you an example. You don't have to like the law of gravity. It's probably in your best interest to, to respect the law of gravity, but you don't have to prefer it. But the law of gravity is not going to change for you. Your opinion of the law of gravity is not going to have an effect on the law of gravity. It's the law of nature. It's a divine law. You can't negotiate away the law of gravity. You can say, because you're free, you can say, gravity, you ain't the boss of me. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm a grown man. I'm going to do whatever it is I want to do. You are free to say that. In fact, you can say, Gravity, just to let you know how I really, really feel about you, I'm going to rebel. I don't like you. I don't believe you. And you can't tell me what to do because I'm a grown man. You can say that. Matter of fact, after church, I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to drive downtown. I'm going to climb up on one of those big buildings, and I'm going to jump. What you think about that, Mr. Law of Gravity? Well, the law of gravity is not going to grab your shirt and stop you from doing that. It's not. law of gravity is not going to hold you back. And you can jump. And for a moment, for a fleeting probably moment, it may appear that you've outwitted or you've outsmarted gravity. It may seem like you are going to get the last word. But a few seconds later, as we're sweeping you up off the pavement, it's going to become abundantly clear that, that you have adjusted to gravity, not that gravity has adjusted to you. Y'all, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And, and, and almost crazily enough, true freedom, genuine freedom, authentic freedom comes from being a slave. That sounds crazy. Real freedom comes from being a slave and a servant to the Lord. You know, holiness begins with the righteousness that comes from God and it is based on faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a really, it it, it echoes Romans chapter 4. If you remember, Paul's talking about Abraham in really most all of chapter 4. And and that theme of chapter 4, if you remember... Uh, Paul wrote Abraham, and he's quoting the Old Testament. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Faith, belief, trust, all of that is wrapped up in that word believe. That faith makes us righteous in God's eyes. But it also challenges me and you to realize that righteousness in the way that we live, in the way that we live. Believers go on to sanctification or holiness or this, this, this walk through life as we grow in Christ's likeness and then ultimately eternal life. And holiness, it's gained through an entire life where we become more and more like Christ and we become more and more set apart for His service. And eternal life, when does eternal life begin? Eternal life begins at the moment that you're saved. It absolutely does. And, 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 and despite the, the physical death that we all are going to inevitably face, that eternal life continues right on past that. Jesus said to Martha in John chapter 11, this is such a great, wonderful two verses. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So number two is the choice of sanctification. And then finally, third, is the choice of salvation. This is the pinnacle of Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The choice of salvation. One verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the result of sin is not just physical death. We all, every one of us, is going to die. I don't care who you are—Christian, Jew, Muslim, Buddha, Buddhist, you're Hindu, atheist. Every single one of us is going to die a physical death. This is referring not to that. It's referring to to eternal separation from God in hell, literal hell. This is the wage. This is the wage that a person receives for his or her rebellion against God. Now, if you could get in a little stargate and go down to hell for a moment and talk to them, folks, have no doubt. Those people will find no comfort in the truth that they have been paid exactly what they earn: Death, hell, and eternal punishment. That is the fate that awaits every human that's born. And it is from that, what would be the word, that horrifying fate that we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued. Jesus saves, the bumper sticker said. From what? Ten-year-old Ed asked that question. Jesus saves from what? Well, it's from that that horrific destiny is the answer, y'all. And the obvious fact, I guess it's an obvious fact, is that we can't rescue ourselves. You may be sitting there today and saying, well, it ain't so obvious. You may have spent 35 years trying to rescue yourself. You may have spent 35, 40, 45 years thinking that you can save yourself. But you can't. You know, ask ask the question. We ask this question. Who's going to rescue people like that? Who's going to do it? People like that, such expert sinners as us. No human has the desire. No human has the plan. No human has the ability. No human has the power. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? The wages of sin is what? Death. That's sin's penalty. And when Jesus died on that cross, he died to sin in terms of paying the penalty. He died. To the, to the guilt of sin. He died to the penalty of sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him, what? We owe. we owe. We owe. Jesus paid the penalty. He met sin's demand. You know, we serve a righteous God. We serve a just God. Sin, you don't just get a free pass, y'all. The sin's got to be paid for. It's not, like the sin, it's not like you say yes to the gospel, you say yes to Jesus, and the sin's not paid for. No, the sin's paid for. You just don't got to pay it. That's a pretty good deal. Like, that's a pretty good deal. God says, you sin, you die. Jesus said, I'll take that death. Think about that. God said, you sin, you die. Jesus said, I'll take that for every man. I'll take that death for every man. For the wages of sin is death. Now, thank the Lord for the rest of the sentence, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So instead of wages, those of us who believe receive a gift, a gift from God, and that gift is eternal life. Of course, eternal life doesn't mean some endless physical life on the earth, but it means a a resurrection from death to eternal glory with God. And because eternal life is a gift, because it's a gift, we can't earn it, we can't purchase it, we don't deserve it, and we surely ain't entitled to it. We surely ain't entitled. Amen is no doubt. We don't deserve it. We're not entitled to it. We can't earn it. We can't purchase it. And you think about it this way. It would be so foolish for somebody to offer to pay for a gift that is given from a place of love. If it's a gift, if it's a gift, it's got to be given. If it's a gift, it's, got, it's even got the same first two letters. If it's a gift, it's got to be given, and it's got to be freely received. Honestly, y'all, the appropriate response would really just be fall on your knees and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I don't even know what to say. Thank you so much. May I have another? Our salvation is a gift from God. It's not something of our own doing. He saved us because of his mercy, not because of something we did, not because of some box we checked, not because we went to church every Sunday morning for 25 years, not for any of that, not not because of some righteous act that we performed. Y'all, we bring nothing to the table, nothing to the table. Let me back up. We bring need to the table. That's about all we bring, is the need. Y'all remember, some of you probably do, 17, 18 years ago, February of 2003, I believe, when the space shuttle Columbia blew up upon re-entry, February of 2003. All seven crew members lost their lives in that tragedy, and the NASA investigators concluded that the source of the problem occurred on takeoff. The source of the problem happened at the beginning of the journey when a little small piece of, of I think it's called flyaway foam, from the fuel tank hit the underside of the left wing and damaged it just enough that, that it couldn't withstand the heat of reentry. And so you had these seven astronauts in the space shuttle Columbia for 15 days and 22 hours carrying on their mission they had no idea they were doomed from the very beginning everything's going smoothly life's just rolling on down the road 15 days and 22 hours they couldn't see the damage on the underside of the left wing they didn't know they needed to be rescued but they did need to be rescued as the NASA engineers on the ground they debated the extent of the damage to the, to the shuttle, uh, one of the flight directors even emailed the seven crew members, and I'm going to quote what the email said. It said, there's absolutely no concern that breakaway foam harmed the spacecraft. Y'all, there were voices, even voices of authority, saying there was nothing wrong. There's no reason for concern. You're okay. You're okay. Just keep living life. Everything is fine. But that crew was doomed with zero hope of escape. They didn't know it, but they were in desperate need, y'all, of rescue. Now, even if they had known, there's nothing that they could have done. They could not have saved themselves. They didn't have the equipment. They didn't have the expertise. They didn't have the power. They didn't have the ability to do anything about it Themselves, They could not save themselves. Y'all, those seven astronauts are a perfect image of the spiritual condition of mankind. Sin, think about it. When sin first entered the world through Adam and Eve, transport your mind all the way back to Genesis. When sin first entered the world through Adam and Eve, it may have appeared to be a, just a little... Thing. But all of history was violated by that little thing that happened in the garden. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Jump back to the shuttle, Columbia. Just imagine for a minute, in your mind, picture this, that the NASA engineers... Correctly diagnosed the serious nature of the damage to Columbia. And they send a second shuttle up. That second shuttle comes alongside of the first shuttle, it comes alongside of the people who are doomed. Word is sent. Word is sent to the seven that are inside that damaged craft. Word is sent. They need to leave that to get back to earth safely. And you got this one tethered astronaut comes out of shuttle number two. you know what tethered is. He's tied to something. He's tied and he's tethered and he walks across and he knocks on the damaged uh, shuttle. He knocks on the door. What do you think he said? He says, follow me. The One knocks on the door. He says, follow me. Now, if that happened, could you imagine for a second that... The, the seven crew members on the other side would say, is there another way? Is there another way? Like, is, the, is, is our problem that serious that we got to go outside where it's not comfortable? Isn't there another way? No. They would be grateful for the one way of escape that is provided, one way of escape, one guy that's knocking on the door. Jesus Christ, y'all, came to to earth and he is knocking on the door of your life and he is saying, follow me to safety. Follow me to safety. Y'all, John, the Apostle John in chapter 3 is like two of my most favorite verses. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Y'all, he didn't come into the world to lay the hammer on you. He did not come into the world to condemn the world. But what? He came into the world, the text says, in order that it might be saved through him. He was on a rescue mission. He was tethered to that cross. He was on a rescue mission. And verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But to rescue me and you, he had to do more than just risk his life and say, follow me. It's more than that. He had to sacrifice his life on that cross to pay the price, to pay the cost. Because God is just and God is righteous. To pay that price for our sins so that we then could be rescued. And, And when we're rescued, we're set free From the sin and death, and from the condemnation and from the judgment of that sin, y'all, the power of choice—you got a chooser down here by your appendix. The power of choice, choices, y'all. People don't argue with conclusions they come to on their own. Y'all, that makes sense to you? People don't argue with conclusions that they come to on their own. You're the one that gets to decide. You get to decide for you. You, you get to decide. You, you're the one that gets to decide whether or not you'll accept the gift. I can't decide for you. Your mama can't decide for you. Your granddaddy can't decide for you. The fact that Abraham was your grandfather doesn't get you in. You gotta decide. You can't decide for your husband or for your wife, and you can't decide for your son or for your daughter. They've got the power of choice. They've got to decide whether or not they believe the truth claims that this book makes. It is inerrant and it is infallible. And me and you get to decide, do we believe the truth claims that this book makes? You choose who or what to be a slave to. You choose. You choose sanctification. truth is, you choose, am I going to grow spiritually? Am I going to jump into a growth group? Am I going to dig into the text of the Scripture and study it and learn it and grow and mature as a Christ follower? You get to choose to do that or not. I don't get to choose that for you. You say, well, that Bible study is too early in the morning. Okay. I mean, we got them at night too. I mean, (laughs) you get to choose. That's 6.30 in the morning. Some people think that's the middle of the night. No, you, can, you get to choose. You get to choose if you grow in Christ's likeness. And then you ultimately, at the end of the day, you get to choose yes or no to salvation. And really, the crux of this is you get to choose eternal life or eternal death lies within the power of choice. And you choose the offers there. The offer's there, been there for 2,000 years, and you get to choose what you're going to do, and no amount of unbelief affects truth, y'all. You can say, I don't believe that he came out of the grave alive, okay? Your unbelief doesn't change the fact that he did come out of the grave alive. Well, I don't really believe, I think it's a good story. You know, that book's full of good stories, and it helps me to, to kind of learn morals and but I don't really believe he died on a cross. I don't believe... It. Well, okay. Okay. Your unbelief doesn't change the fact that he died on a cross, and your unbelief doesn't change the fact that he ran out of that grave alive. It either happened or it didn't happen. And if it did happen, it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. And I'm going to tell you, I said a little while ago, you, 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 you can't argue... People just don't argue with conclusions they come to on their own. Somebody can beat you upside the head with the Bible all they want to. You've got to conclude the truth claims the Scripture makes yourself. And when you're witnessing to your son or your daughter or your mama or your daddy, don't you beat them up with the Bible? It doesn't work, y'all. It got done to me for 25 years. It doesn't work. You share the truth. You lay it all out there on the line. And the word never comes back void. And if, if God is gracious and good to you, as he is sometimes on this issue, he's always good and gracious. But every now and again, you get to see the fruit of the sharing of the gospel with another human being. I believe that more often than not, we don't get to see that. It doesn't change that that's what we ought to be doing. And so Richard was, it was funny, Richard was talking about giving and generosity a little while ago, and all of that is so that we can go into the streets and share the gospel. It's so that we can, it it just fuels all of the ministry. Well, all of the ministry in this church is about two things. It is either about leading people to a saving, into a saving relationship with Christ, number one, or number two, it's about helping people grow in their walk with Christ. That's the yardstick that we use really for everything that we do. the power of choice y'all and if if today if today is a day where you said you know what I've been fighting this for years and years and if you're watching y'all on TV or Facebook or YouTube or whatever if you said I've been fighting this for so long and I've been a slave to sin and I want to be a slave to Christ it's just such an easy uh, it's not a complicated formula it is, I repent of my sin, and don't try to remove repentance from the deal. I repent of my sin, and I believe that, that you died on that cross to save me. Period. That's it. Lord, save me. And if that is you today, let us know. Fill out a connection card if you're here on the seat back in front. Let us know. And if you're online, do it online. Our prayer team is back here in this back corner. would love to pray with you. All right? Let me, uh, let me pray real quick, and, and I'm going to turn it back over to our worship team. Listen, I want you, sorry. If today is the day for you, I want you to pray this with me. Lord, today is the day. And Lord, I've been trying to save myself for 35 years. And I finally today, I realize that I can't. And so Lord, I repent of all of the sin in my life. And I believe that you died on that cross, and I believe that you ran out of that grave alive to save me. And so today I ask you, Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen.